Good morning, good morning. There's our friend Schooner Fair piping in Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. Around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. We are uh, both longtime old boat carpenters and uh, have been not on the rum line lately. We're kind of a straight shooters, as you might, might, might like to say here at Community Radio. That's a quick last-minute pun because I realized about 30 seconds ago I hadn't thought of one yet. So, Oh, my goodness. I, no I don't know how you come up, come up with them in the first place. We like to explain our terms every time. The rum line. Rum uh, line, yes. Yeah, okay. R-H-U-M-B. Right. Not R-U-M. <laughs> oh, <laughs> rats. Some sailors sell one rum line. Some sailors sell another. But uh, the rum line is the straight path between two two points. Right. Yes. If you, it's interesting, if you have a globe, a real globe, and you put a string from here to there and mark the shortest distance between two points, and then follow where that string goes on a, on a flat map, can't be straight. It's not a straight line. That's right. I've heard the world is curved. Yep. But I don't quite understand it. Yeah. Oh, Alan Sprague and I are doing uh, boat talk this morning, and uh, uh, we uh, had. Tried to arrange a variety of guests this morning. However, uh, they all successfully avoided. Yes, uh, they did, and, and we can talk more about that. But then we thought uh, we would uh, address something that we're a little bit behind on. We've we've uh, certainly enjoyed having Cap- Captain Giffy full here as guest host uh, in season, and uh, we have chatted him up about his career and what what who is Giffy and what's he do. Um, probably the the most experienced marine surveyor on the planet. Certainly the most most experienced one I know. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And we thought as a, a little fallback today, we'd try to do a proper chatting up a Giffy. But Giffy is out driving a boat this morning. He's eighty four, eighty six, isn't he? Well, I hope he's not listening to the radio because we may be scaring him off for coming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to sneak up on him on it too. Uh, they just. Uh, moved old Ironsides again every year. They take her out and flip her at the dock to weather uh, both sides evenly, you know. And uh, it hasn't been since sometime in the 90s since she sailed, 17 years, I believe, since they set sails and they sailed again, uh, 20-odd years maybe since they've uh, sailed her. They raised the sails again for less than half an hour. And uh, the point being that when they first sailed her, after a long, long time of, of never daring to, uh, how did they know to do that? Well, they had to ask Giffy for permission. Yep. Giffy surveyed old Ironsides, among other things. So yep. He said, good. Man's been, yep, good. That, that'll, that'll be good. So anyway, uh, yeah, man's been around. and uh, But Alan and I are just here on our own this morning uh, doing boat talk. We like to think that we can always trust the audience. And you can give a call about any time. You will never be interrupting us. one 866 one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. I'll tell one quick Giffy story that I know he won't tell oh, yeah. on the radio. Um, Giffy's son is a uh, a tanker captain, uh, and being such, he flies around the at least across the country, or flies quite a few different places to pick up different boats. And twice now, his son has sat down next to people, not knowing who they were, 
and a conversation will strike up and get into sort of boats and um, surveying and that sort of stuff. And two different people have said, have you ever heard of Giffy Fall to his son <laughs> and say what a character he is? Pretty fun to say, that character's my dad. <laughs> yeah. And as I said to someone one time, uh, oh, he's a character, and, and somebody just stared at me for a little while and says, you have a lot of nerve calling anybody a character. And I put that <laughs> one right back on you, Alan Sprague. So there. Hey, when we started Boat Talk this morning, the wrong theme music came up, and it sounded like a political kind of uh, rally oh, theme go. to me, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, Didn't it go. to you? Yeah. I almost started uh, whistling and singing the Boat Talk tune, but it wasn't necessary. But that political uh, uh, theme that got misplayed this morning might lead us into our first little uh, item we got for Boat Talk this morning, boats and politics. Who dares to go there? Well, you know, we can if we're, if we're circumspect about it. <laughs> I can think of two. Yeah. Um, let's do uh, the poll from the TV news this morning. Uh, ABC News poll. Who would you rather have as captain of your boat in a storm? Barack Obama or Mitt Romney? Wow. Yeah, captain of a boat in a storm, not president now. Captain of a boat, a boat in a storm. In a storm that you're on. We need leadership, and you know when you're when you're in it up to your eyeballs. Give me Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton never lost a man. He he uh, is known as the fellow who brought his crew through the most adversity <laughs> ever. Never give up. Positive attitude. Always. That's a great and story. Endurance. For endurance. Yeah. yeah. When when you're up to it in your eyeballs, give me Shackleton. But he wasn't on the poll this morning. So who would you rather have you as your captain in a storm, Obama or Romney? Obama took that 46 to 43, and uh, that leaves, I notice, 11% undecided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, those undecided people, I've, I've experienced people in a storm quit, absolutely quit. We're going to die. Screw you. I quit. Crawling yeah. in my bunk. Um, yeah. You know, don't talk to me. Uh, uh, we're gonna, did I tell you we're going to die? I quit. And, you know, uh, when you are faced with a situation the people that quit don't do as well as the people with positive attitudes well yeah yeah attitude has everything to do with it really. Atti- oh boy does it ever there's a great book um one of my all-time favorite survival uh books is called uh, abandons uh desperate journeys abandoned souls les leslie is the author uh, desperate journeys abandoned souls it is a, a survey of survivor stories and most of them, a lot of them are at sea. Some of them are uh, uh, falling out of airplanes and stuff. But uh, it's all survivor stories. And the thing that comes down uh, most is attitude. People who quit die. People who don't quit die too, but people who <laughs> quit die more than other people. And uh, you've got to maintain a positive attitude. There was also a story on the TV news this morning of a boat that sank off of Sitka, Alaska. And you've got to imagine it was cold and foggy. And it's always cold and fire. Yeah, well, the, these boys are, I believe, day fishing. They're out in a 28-foot boat, and they have no life raft and no dinghy. And a wave comes along and swamps them. They're in the water, and they're floating away. And one, there's two of them, and they're not no life jackets, no no dinghy, no life raft. Yeah, just in street clothes. Street Probably clothes, yeah. still on. And uh, here they are in the water. Well, here comes a fish tote and a lid. And uh, one guy swam to the fish tote, and, and his buddy got separated. He found the lid, and then he found a survival suit. I'm not sure what use he made of that survival suit. He swam to shore. He, he came up on shore. Um, 
the uh, I think he was a good reason why the Coast Guard uh, launched four rescue missions uh, looking for his buddy, but it was quite foggy. And I believe his buddy was something like 23, 27 hours until he was rescued. He was in a four-foot square blue fish tote he had found floating by and successfully had got into. I'm not even sure how he would have done that without... Oh, it was probably half full anyway when he got Yeah. To... Get in it, start bailing out Bail with your hands. Out, yeah. Boy, that's a, that's a trick right there. He was perched in that fish tote, but here's the point of the uh, story here. His attitude was good. He never thought he was going to die. And whatever his name was, uh, he said to himself, gave himself a pep talk. He says, I'm Mike Joyce, and I'm not going to die here today. And he didn't. Yeah. You know, and the Coast Guard found him and winched him up in a helicopter. The picture of them uh, rescuing him, you can't see much past the fist out. It's pretty foggy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that boy is pretty lucky, but attitude makes the hugest difference. Preparation, uh, you know, survival skills, uh, you got to think your way out of, out of stuff. I'm not saying, uh, like, say, uh, quitters die before people with good attitudes. Right, so yeah. he avoided being totaled. Was that a pun? <laughs> I'll only get it later. We are doing Boat Talk this morning without any guests. We trust the audience. You can give us a call anytime. 1-866-625-9378 is the number. We got another political story, though, a boat political story, and it comes from the Republican National Convention. It was held down in Tampa. Big boat country down there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they got parties and nightclubs, and uh, they got parties, uh, you know, in penthouses, and they got parties on yachts. So the Republican National Committee got together and uh, had a party for their biggest donors, million-dollar-and-up kind of financial end givers, you know. And it was noticed that they held it on a beautiful big powerboat. I'm sorry I I didn't write down the name of the powerboat. It was kind of unusual and a little funny. But that's not the point. The point is, this uh, Republican National Convention uh, million-dollar donor party was held on a powerboat, pl- proudly flying the flag of the Cayman Islands, um, flying the British Red Ensign. Mm-hmm. And you will see the British Red Ensign on, uh, you know, uh, British flag boats, Cayman Islands included. It is, I believe, low chance that that was a British subject that owned that boat. I bet you it was a good American capitalist. And this is something we've talked about on Boat Talk a lot. It's one of my little pet peeves that you could have a boat like that and not put an American flag on it. Yeah, well, we know the bottom line there. Well, apparently it costs more. And also, interestingly enough, I talked to a a couple last year there, a man and wife and and both captains, and share share a powerboat that they, uh, you know, co-captain. And they pointed out to me that when you put an American flag on the boat, the regulations are different. As opposed to putting the flag of the Marshall Islands, uh, you don't see Liberia on yachts or Monrovia or anything. Mm-hmm. But as uh, tax dodges, the, the newest great ones, the flag of the Marshall Islands, blue with a uh, kind of sideways triangle on it. And the idea being that uh, if you put an American flag on the boat, you are open to uh, crew regulations, insurance regulations, and there we go. Taxes and over-regulations again, driving those, uh, you know, high-end job-providing yachters offshore. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a damn shame or a travesty, but uh, there we are this morning. Yeah. So Heaven forbid they should have to pay taxes. Well, uh, it's not that uh, you, you get to uh, totally avoid that, but again, you, you're uh, trying to uh, lower your costs there. There is a great book... Um, 
uh, William Langwish called The Outlaw Sea. And it has several parts to it, but one part is about flags of convenience. And it's just a fascinating story. And his point being uh, merchant ships, you can buy a flag of convenience. Uh, you don't have to really uh, get, get your act together. Uh, also, if you were a terrorist and wanted to hide something on a container in a ship and bring it in and blow up a port, well, you don't have to hide the container on somebody else's ship. You can buy your own ship and you can buy a flag hmm. if you have enough money. You don't have to really jump through too many hoops if you want a flag for your vessel. That's yeah. just the way it is. Mm -hmm. The uh, outlaw sea, William Languish, uh, the point he makes is the ocean is the largest area on Earth and the least governable. Yeah. Yeah, and he has, has <laughs> a pretty interesting point. And, uh, you know, we say that on the morning of September 12th. Uh, I'm sorry, September 11th, 2012 it is today, 11 years from the beautiful, another beautiful Tuesday morning, just like today, bright, beautiful, and the summer day. And uh, September 11th, I was fixing a canoe in the yard when uh, my boss, Guy Captain Four, called me from New Mexico. His daughter was in New York City. He wanted to get a hold of her, and we spent the whole day trying to call his daughter. Uh, me from one side of New York and he from the other. Mm -hmm. uh, he got a hold of her before I did, and she was fine. But, uh, you know, September 11th, uh, 2012, 11 years later, uh, just as a little aside, probably three summers ago, uh, do a lot of boat deliveries, and we go through New York City on a pretty regular basis, uh, especially when we're going down to the uh, Chesapeake. And we, we like to go inside Long Island and down the East River. And it's always a trip. And it's quite an event to take a boat through the city. There is a lot of commercial traffic. And, of course, the city is right up to the edge of the river. It's a hell of a oh, way, yeah. hell of a way yeah. to see New York City. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a parkway that, that uh, you got traffic going 60 miles an hour right next to the boat at one point uh, off to starboard as, you, as you're going out. And uh, it's a trip going through New York. But uh, three summers ago, I believe, and I forget what kind of boat we were on, but... Uh, we went through New York City on the night of September 11th, and invariably we go through there. If you leave Bass Harbor, if you leave this area in the morning, you're invariably going to end up going through New York in the middle of the night, is how it always happens to us. So uh, we're going through New York City in the middle of the night on September 11th, I believe three summers ago. And when we are delivering a sailboat, we single-hand it, and everybody else is, is off watch, there's two of us. And, uh, you know, we, we run the boat one person at a time. So I drove the boat through New York City that night. And uh, it was a strange night. There was a three-quarter moon, and there, it was uh, really partly cloudy. And the moon was kind of orange. It was a very strange light that night. And it just gives you chills going down there, thinking all that. And, of course, the uh, Twin Towers are still on the old charts. Ten years later. Or oh, there, well, there eight, were seven years. You definitely a, a navigational. You would think they would have been mark a little and, quicker on that. Well, uh, and again, uh, who throws away old charts? So, uh, well, there's get, a story there too. But yeah, well, the uh, again, the uh, you know, the, the land and the river hasn't changed. The buildings have, have changed. The spire has changed. But uh, uh, they change buoy numbers sometimes. Yeah, they uh, do that too. But we we run with old charts all the time. But anyway. Uh, we, uh, down through New York City in the middle of the night there, September 11th, out, through, out past the Statue of Liberty by 4 a.m. and on our way down the coast of New Jersey and, and just, uh, you know, remember 
just having chills that night, just thinking of it all. Little, little, little ghosty that night, you know. So anyway, here we are doing boat talk this morning. We can talk to ourselves for about an hour. Oh, I got you. If we more have stuff to. to talk about too. Oh yeah, but we don't want to. So one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Yeah. What do you got there, Alan Sprague? Um, people who have been reading the papers lately probably realized that there was a, a dead whale found floating off of Scudic about oh, two, three weeks ago now. Yeah, fisherman out pulling traps, comes on a dead whale. Yep, and calls the Coast Guard. Coast Sees Guard. a lot of birds. That's how you find a dead whale. You'll see a lot of birds. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how he found her. I think maybe you might be able to tell by smell, too. But Well, that's, why the, that's how the birds found them. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, um, Allied Whale ended up hooking onto this whale off of Scooting and hauled it into a, I don't know, um, a remote beach in Hull's Cove and did a... There's no remote beaches in Hull's uh, Cove when you wait 50 times and stink to high heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't remain remote for very long. But in, on the other hand, people didn't get too close either. Um, so they uh, uh, decided to uh, do a, a biopsy or whatever you want to call it, uh, cleaning it up to reclaim the uh, skeleton because it was a 50-foot-long sperm whale. Uh, they get to be 60 feet when they're fully mature. So this one is pretty close to fully mature. Uh, but they could see uh, no signs of a ship strike on it, which is the usual whale killer. Um, usually there's some damage somewhere that they see. But this one was uh, pretty much intact. So there's some sort of other... Uh, cause of death and i spoke with sean todd just a few days ago and the cause of death has still not yet be, been determined they've sent um tissues out to various labs for uh, microscopic work to see if they can figure out just what the problem was whether it was disease or uh, pollution or what um but anyway uh the sperm whale that they pulled up um has been all processed now and part of the part of the uh package of sperm whale packs is uh, stuff called spermaceti. Spermaceti is... That was the gold in the old old whaling days, wasn't uh, it? Well, no. The gold actually was ambergris. Oh. But we'll get around to that, too. Ah. Okay. Spermaceti is a an oil that's in the head part of a of sperm whale, and there can be up to 500 gallons of spermaceti, which is a very, um, back 1800s, uh, very valuable lubricant because it was very fine and uh, worked very well for precision machinery. So a lot of people claim that the uh, advance of the American Industrial Revolution was run on spermaceti oil to do all the precision milling. Spermaceti, uh, they're not exactly sure just what the function is in a whale. Uh, some people think it has to do with buoyancy because it changes uh, density when it uh, cools and solidifies into a wax, and then when it melts again, it the whale becomes more buoyant. So the whale has a passage that goes into the spermaceti chamber through its nose so it could cool the spermaceti down by inhaling a little bit of seawater and make the spermaceti solid, and then it would, could dive better. And then after this exertion from diving for a while, the spermaceti would warm up, and it would become more buoyant and be able to come back up again. And then other people claim that spermaceti has to do with some echolocation uh, features, which way down deep and the the favorite food of sperm whales is squid so they use uh, sort of a like bats echolocation to find squid way down in the deep dark sound waves will travel different through me, uh, mediums of different density and the spermaceti's different density right 
from the seawater and the rest of the whale. So uh-huh. it, it could be. Yeah. Maybe like our inner ear kind of vibrate, uh, you know, vibrating idea. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll get around to the, uh, to the ambergris because uh, ambergris has pretty much been determined now to be the beaks of the squids. They're semi-digested huh. sperm whales. I've never heard that. Yeah. Um, and the really big beaks can't pass through, so the whales throw up the big chunks of uh, semi-digested, um, wax-coated uh, squid beaks, and they float around the ocean for a while, and then people are either they wash up on shore or people find them by boat, and that is the ingredient, too, that they use in perfume, majorly, is a very popular ingredient in perfume, ambergris, and it sells for up to $10,000 per pound. Well, Sean Todd and the Allied, Way people, Allied Whale people had plenty of extra perfumage going on, and, and they're uh, taking a part of that whale down there. They dress yeah, up in, in white sure. Tyvek suits to keep the whale from getting on their clothes. Yeah. And, and uh, you put on a mask and, and try to, I don't know, Vicks Vapor Rub under your nose, whatever you do around dead bodies. But well, I, I noticed in the picture of them there, they were wearing this the plain white particulate masks. And yeah. both you and I, I'm sure, are familiar with the charcoal dust, dust mask. Yeah. yeah, charcoal mask, which... No fume. Yeah, they uh, cut not, down the fumes. Not, <laughs> yeah, but not not really for solvents and uh, doesn't protect again. It's well, not like a respirator. No, it's not like a respirator, but it certainly would be good for getting rid of a lot of the noxious fumes that were in the air around the whale, I would think. But Might <laughs> stick a cough drop in either, I'll, I'll no, either nose or something, that. you know, something like that. But anyway, uh, speaking of Sean Todd, uh, he was one of the people we talked to today about possibly appearing on Boat Talk. and. Mm-hmm. So here we are by ourselves. Has the phone rung out? Yeah, the phone oh, has rung. Good. We have a person standing by. Let's give the number real quick while uh, we're standing by. one 625 9378 There she goes, ringing again. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks for waiting. Oh, he hung up. Okay, but we do have another caller coming in, so we'll get around to that in just a second. HMS Bounty is going to come to the Maine Maritime Academy tomorrow at the Castine Town Dock. Is it now? Yeah. I will be in Castine again tomorrow. Isn't that interesting? It was over to Belfast a little while ago, and she was just down to Eastport All right. this week at the Pirate Festival. Uh, HMS Bounty is uh, uh, was made for the movie. Speaking of whales. Yeah, yes. and was rebuilt and was also in Pirates of the Caribbean. And I believe if you like to see a big ship, uh, uh, Castine's a hell of a place to see one. Very historic. Uh, mm. So anyway, yeah, tied to the dock in Castine tomorrow, town dock, can't miss it. Let's get to the phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks. Uh, this is Fred in Tenants Harbor. Hi, Fred. Um, three things. I'm just wondering about the ocean bus and uh, what George is up, <laughs> uh, Raw Faith is up to, if Ooh. anything. Oh, Raw Faith, yeah, we can Ooh. tell you about that well, one. Well, <laughs> let's, let's start with and, the bus. <laughs> and one more thing. I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, on the water here in Long Cove in Tenants Harbor. And watching uh, Lobster Boat go by, I notice incredibly different wakes, uh, both the size, et cetera. And I wonder if, uh, uh, with all the computer power around these days, if uh, people are putting on uh, splash rails underwater or modifying hull performance in other ways to get, uh, to get more efficiency. Glad you called this morning, Fred. Alan, uh, you, you know, you, you got you were the bus guy. Okay, I'll go to the bus first. Um, the, I, I'm afraid I don't have any good news on the bus. Um, Mark Rorig is the name of the fellow who was trying to put it together, and 
I believe now the bus has been taken to Florida and is sort of sitting in limbo in Florida, and Mark has moved back to where he originally was from, I believe, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, yeah, that's in limbo right now. I should, I still have his number. I'll give him a call and uh, do an update and tell you more on that next next show. Your average boat dream requires, you know, luck and, and a lot of other things to come true, let alone the idea of, and to backtrack for people who don't know what just the bus thing yeah, here is. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Mark Rorig uh, fixed up a Geo car to be an amphibious car one time, and he started having bigger ideas. Yeah, the Geo was pretty successful. Yeah, there's a video about that. But then he thought, oh, you know, a school bus. Uh, and uh, we'll make it into a camper, and we'll go around the world. And that was his idea, to go around the world by land and sea. So not only will the school bus sail around the world when it gets to the shore, Got to roll out and, you know, go down the Audubon for a while. So that was Mark's little dream. He uh, was married, is married to an Israeli woman who I, I remember. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Her idea was to meet the bus when it come up on land. <laughs> <laughs> There's the smart man. <laughs> now, we don't know how that is factored into the storage of the bus in Florida at the present time, but uh, there you go with that one, Fred. Uh, George and Rawfaith. Rawfaith was a uh, vessel built in Addison, Maine. Very unusual, about 100 foot. Uh, homemade vessel uh, conceived and designed and, and executed by uh, uh, George. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I can't think of the name either. Right? George. I've been blanking on a bunch of McKay. stuff lately. George McKay, yes. I, I'm trying to think of the name of the famous Donald McKay. Yeah. Uh, Ship designer, George designed and built it with his family and uh, launched it after a little trouble. And then the boat uh, never really fulfilled its its dream of taking handicapped uh, people and their families sailing, kind of as a bonding thing, as much for families as for handicapped people. And uh, the boat tried to go south several times. It was dismasted twice, hauled back uh, both times to Rockland, Maine, put under port arrest. And the last time that it tried to go south... Uh, it ended up in Salem, Massachusetts. Now, it was tied to the National Park dock there at about Halloween when George was visited by the National Park guy, the um, harbor master of Salem, Massachusetts, and uh, I believe, well, the, the harbor master was also a, um, a town cop. But anyway, uh, he was told pretty much he'd uh, worn out his welcome and uh, had to get off the dock. And I believe there was also... At least in, in uh, George's end of the business, some perception, if not outright threat, that the boat might be seized. And George, uh, that vessel was not only his home, it had changed his life. And I think that's a, a very non-controversial thing to say. That had totally changed George's life. He was an electrical engineer, his uh, very Christian family, and, and uh, he lived in Winthrop, Maine, and drove to Boston for his job. And one day, sitting on the turnpike in traffic he received a call from god build a boat george and he did and uh another great thing about that we'll go back to the wife again fred uh he didn't tell his wife about the call to god for a while <laughs> till he till he had it uh figured out how to how to convince her she was gonna you know not not have her house live in a cabin down in addison make a lot of peanut butter sandwiches and impoverish herself building the boat so that's what they did when they left Salem, Massachusetts, they did so under some duress, and uh, George left with uh, the crew that he had, which is one other fellow, no experience whatsoever. 
they had other people lined up. They did not show up. So a lot of people talk big about going for boat rides until it's time to go for a boat ride, and then they ain't there. So they they headed off, and I'm not. I haven't got the story from George, but they headed towards Bermuda. They did not get there. Uh, raw faith sank. They're rescued by the Coast Guard, and uh, everybody survived. George. Uh, Nowadays, uh, I haven't uh, heard about George for uh, about a season now, but uh, George is a veteran, and the last I heard of George, he was uh, doing post-traumatic stress disorder uh, counseling with the VA. And not only did that boat change his life, when that boat sank, it left a big hole in George's life. there's some trauma right there. Yeah, and his initial response was, we're going to try this again now. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to follow through on that, but uh, PTSD, that would be the word for George. Yeah. Where else are we at this morning, Fred? What was the last boat? Last Wakes, wasn't was, it? Uh, about uh, Wake of, of boats, particularly lobster boats, which I see a lot go by here in, uh, I'm right on the water here in Long Cove in Tenants Harbor. And uh, I notice incredible differences in boats that are approximately the same size, going approximately the same speed some of them, and some of them put out tsunamis, and some of them put out uh, practically zip, and, um, you know, it must be quite a science as to how efficient a hull is going to be with what load uh, and what power, Uh, and it just seems to me, I've seen, oh, I've uh, seen three spray rails on, what, the uh, Elizabeth Ann that goes out to Monhegan, and... Uh, I just wonder if people start to put spray rails or other stuff underneath, uh, underwater, in uh, boats to change the uh, change the way they ride at a certain speed or power. And it seems to me they could, might be more efficient that way, and a possible way to you know uh, be more efficient. You wouldn't call it a spray rail if it was underwater because right. it wouldn't be deflecting spray, which is right. what they do. <laughs> It's not so much how the boat rides, it's to keep things dry. And uh, uh, notice, if you will, spray rails always go on, if they're properly applied, parallel to the shear of the boat. You'll see some uh, spray rails that don't, and about kills Mm. me, but uh, they go on parallel to the shear of the boat done properly. That makes them look good, and uh, they deflect spray up. Now, if they were underwater, they would be called a lifting strake, and yes, they do have such stuff. And uh, also, uh, a boat uh, underwater, you, you'll uh, see the bottoms of boats that have little corners on them that run fore, uh, fore and aft, the hard, chines, we call Multi-chine them, hard, hard, uh, hard chines, step chines, yeah. a boat that uh, curves up to a flat spot and then angles back and then curves and then angles up. Those are called step chines, and they okay. help, help a boat get up mm. on a plane mm. out of the water. Um, let's imagine we... Uh, Describe boats by how much water they displace. Let's say we have a 5,000-pound uh, boat displaces 5,000 pounds of water. Uh, that much water has to get out of the way for the boat to go anywhere. Now, we could displace 5,000 pounds with a square box or a very narrow canoe. And if we pulled those through the water, they would, they would uh, definitely disturb the water in different ways. So shape has a lot to do with it. There's no doubt about it. Um, was bringing a boat from Castine over to Somme Sound the other day in the thicka thicka fog. And we were coming out of the eastern end of the uh, uh, Deer Isle thoroughfare there. And uh, 
we were uh, coming towards Casco Passage, and here comes a 100-foot-odd powerboat on a plane coming right at us. And it's really thick of fog, and I just throttled back, and he realized that he ought to throttle back, too. And when he throttled back, you should have seen the wake and his bow. You couldn't even see the boat past the, past the amount of water that that bow was, was uh, you know, trying to throw up and out of the way of that boat as it came down from speed and back into the water. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, it looked ridiculous, to tell you the truth. But but that was a transitional moment for that boat. So shape has a lot to do with it. Efficiency is huge. Uh, another boat talk question. When are the fishermen going to start fishing out of catamarans? Because right. it costs less to drive them, you know. I think our friend uh, Steve Hudson over at... Um Sure, down to Steve from Southwest, Southwest regular Harvard. suspect on boat talk here. Yeah. But yes, yeah. he he's been doing a lot of research into boat efficiency, especially right now, as you realize the price of lobster down and the price of fuel is up. So efficiency is very important. Yeah. Oh, and we haven't even got to the lobster thing yet today, but good to talk to you, Fred. Will you right. shed any light on any of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Good morning. Always good to talk to Fred Thank from Tenants Harbor. He believes in miracles. And he also uses one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight to throw his little two cents worth into Boat Talk, which is what Boat Talk is all about. Yeah, and just, we are, uh, like I say, just uh, chatting about this and that this morning unless you give us a call and, and just received notice here that HMS Bounty, a uh, nice-looking big ship's got a little cannon on deck and everything, Alan. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, Going to be at the Castine Town Dock from 9 o'clock to uh, 6 o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow. And uh, you are welcome to tour the ship. It was built for Mutiny on the Bounty, has been in Pirates of the Caribbean. And Castine being such a historic, shippy place, uh, I'm thinking it'll look pretty good it'll down there. It'll look good, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, I'll be down there fixing a boat tomorrow, and I'm going to check her out for All sure. Right. I think maybe someone buy a pizza slice. We have another phone call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, Folks, how you doing today? Good. Who are we speaking to? Uh, my name is Steve. Uh, doing some boating over in the uh, Pemaquid uh, Christmas Cove area. Ah, small, that's a pretty small spot, too. Stuff, little, little boat stuff. I've been uh, thinking of taking up sailing. I've never done that before in my life. And I've been doing some research, and apparently there is a kit to convert a rowboat to a sailboat. Have you ever heard of them? Are they any good? Are they work money any any boat can be a sailboat if you put a mast in it but again we go back to shape um there's reason sailboats are shaped one way and uh you know a let's say uh, a planing powerboat is shaped another way so uh right. while, while every boat can sail not every boat will sail well right and i would think no matter what uh, what what kind of boat do you have Steve? it's just a 14 foot uh, aluminum it's uh it has um, receivers for um, for seats that I thought I could uh, stick a mast in and can put that anywhere I want. Yeah, but you're going to want a, a centerboard or a keel of some sort, also. No, right. Back, but these, we... these these kits actually come with with with, uh, with rudders you attach to the to the uh, to the transom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can we back up? You said aluminum boat. Is this like your average aluminum Sears boat with the little kind of V in the bow and flattens off? Yeah. Yep. yep. It's a semi-V. It's, uh, it's, old, it's a 1996 Monarch. It's about 500 pounds. It's got a little V to it. Uh, I, I like to row it a lot. I do a lot of rowing. That boat will sail, and, and not terribly, 
But uh, you need two things, uh, three things, I would say. You've got to have a sale. Uh, that's a no-brainer, as they say. And as Alan was saying, a center board or lee board, you need a, a center of lateral resistance. Um, when a boat sails to windward, it is cli- uh, the sail is actually uh, kind of climbing like an airplane wing and pulling the boat to windward. And unless you have a center board, a keel, or, or a lee boards, uh, something uh, that goes in the middle of the boat down into the water, um, to provide you directional stability there, you're going to get blown sideways more than you go forward. That's, right. called, that's called leeway. And yeah. uh, more about that in a minute. But the last thing you're going to need is something to steer that boat, no matter whether you have a center of lateral resistance or not, uh, some kind of rudder, or an oar lock on the transom, and you take your oar and just uh, put it out behind you and use the oar to steer. That, that works quite well, too. I've never seen a kit that is specifically meant for, like, a Sears uh, aluminum boat there, Monarch aluminum boat, but uh, you would definitely want to size the mass to the boat. Um, I've got a 14-foot dory. It's got a spritzel rig in it, and the mass is about 12 feet tall. Uh, the back sails a little taller than that because it's trapezoidal-shaped. Um, tell you another one real quick. Have a... Uh, uh, Rangeley boat, which uh, they're not known for their sailing. It's it was made for uh, guides rowing fishermen up in the Rangeley area back at the turn of the century. Very fine line pulling boat, um, mildly similar in in shape to your aluminum boat, but much finer lined. And we took that out to a little pond behind Scudic Mountain, and we call that Scudic Yacht Club out there. And we put a, a lobster boat riding sail in in a hole in the seat in the bow. And she never had any center of lateral resistance. And put a oar lock on the transom. And uh, she's named Jenny. And you can sail her across the wind and downwind. And it's just delightful in the tiny little pond. And that's enough to be blown anywhere in the tiny little pond. But you could never, again, go anywhere to windward in her. I have a suggestion for a possible kit for you, though. Um, in Blue Hill, there's a company called Michael Hughes Company, H-E-W-E-S, and they make a rowboat kit, and I'm not sure, but they may also have a uh, sail variation for that rowboat kit, and you may be able to buy just the sail variation part and um, sort of modify it to your boat. The question, though, is when you put in a centerboard or leeboard, you have to put it in more or less at the right place fore and aft so that the boat will balance out fairly well when you try to sail it i wouldn't cut a hole in the bottom of that aluminum boat especially aluminum boats yes no they're hard to uh repair and stick stuff to uh, i would put a lee board on the side of it uh, a board that hangs on the side rail well you're gonna need two probably for yeah that. one either side or yep. one that goes to either side or or uh here's the other thing steve you um uh got to allow for the fact that that may not be the most stable craft under sail now my friend Bob decided that he wanted to learn to sail, and, and uh, I've lost Bob's number. I haven't talked to him in a little while, but uh, Bob also needed a dinghy, and he got one of these Walker Bay dinghies. You can see them down to Hamilton Marine. It's all plastic dinghy. It's not the most graceful-looking uh, uh, plastic craft, but it comes with a sailing rig as an extra, and also this plastic dinghy also comes with an extra, which is an inflatable collar that goes around it like the tube of, of a uh, Avon, you know, like a Zodiac tube that goes around the gunnel of the uh, plastic boat with the sailing rig or, or just while you're motoring it. It's not 
the sharpest looking thing. It, it, it's uh, okay, but it's safe as can be. You cannot tip that boat over. And at first I went, well, that's not the best looking dinghy I ever saw. And then I went, that's about the safest dinghy I ever yeah, saw. Yeah, that would be good for kids. Yeah, and it's a good thing, the uh, Walker Bay uh, with the inflatable collar or to attach some kind of flotation to the rails there, a sponson, they call it, on a canoe, a wide spot, you know, um, just for instance. So we shed any light on that, Steve? <laughs> Steve, I guess not. No, phone's ringing. <laughs> we Steve's, don't have another phone Another phone line's ringing. Right Steve's gone. So. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I I got a question. I've got a J24, and when I'm on a starboard tack, I let go of the helm on a close haul. You know, it turns up into the wind and the going to irons. Now, if I'm on a port tack on a close haul, I can let go of the helm, and she will drive just as straight as an arrow. Isn't that interesting? Um, what he means by port and starboard tacks is having uh, the sail is on one side of the boat, the wind's coming from one side of the boat or the other, uh, according to the center line. Now, here's what I think is that um, I've, got a, I've got a little catamaran with a uh, tripod mast, and she set, the sail sets better on one tack than the other, and that uh, seems to be the case for a lot of sails. Yeah. It just seems to set a little different yeah. on, on one side or the other. Depending on the sail, how the sail is worn, maybe it's all, always been sailed on the port tack with the prevailing wind, and it's got baggy that side, you know. Hard to say, but uh, it's a, I think it's a balance thing. i got a whole different idea. Good. I think maybe your keel is slightly off center line. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and the way you can check on that is to find a couple of good long straight edges and clamp it on either side of your keel. You can obviously do it when the boat's on land. Um Clamp that to your keel so that the two uh, your two uh, straight edges are parallel to each other, and that will indicate the actual line of your keel. And yeah. I'm going to bet that it won't line up with your rudder. Yeah, clamp two 16-foot 2x4s to either side of the keel. Go stand behind the boat and see if they're coming straight off the back end of her. Yeah. 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 Have you ever put her aground in your uh, aggressive J24 sailing? Thump the keel here and there, <laughs> you know. You're supposed to say no, but I bought it used. <laughs> <laughs> well, the buddy I bought it from, he 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 and all his friends had it. It was like that when he had it, and they all called it the Force. I got another possibility in the old ships. Uh, read Patrick O'Brien, the great Master and Commander series, the great, greatest book uh, novel of all time, let alone sea stories. And I uh, would also add the aside that they're uh, human nature stories just set at sea. But uh, the weight distribution on the boat itself is very important. How, how, uh, whether you have uh, something that's much heavier on one side of the boat than the other so that the boat starts off on an even keel. Hmm. Uh, you don't want too much weight in the bow, for instance. You also don't want too much in the stern. You, you know, how they trimmed the old boats had a lot to do with how they yeah. sailed and, and how the wheel acted. Yeah, for sure. This J24, she's just a J24, and I can do it alone. It's just wild. I mean, you know, I mean, 10, 15 knots of breeze, she's healed over funny, and, uh, yeah, you can just go walk around the bow, go take a snooze down below. She won't come off uh, offline. That's kind of nice. We had a uh, <laughs> Bermuda 40 we uh, delivered earlier this summer, and, and until we repaired the autopilot, uh, we found out that you could get her to windward. It was a yawl. And uh, if you adjusted the sails just so, you could get her to track like she was on a railroad track. Huh. 
And if she was going to uh, fall off a little bit, you tighten in the mizzen and she'd come right back up. Yeah. And if she was going to uh, pinch up, you let out the mizzen and she'd you get her right back on the railroad tracks. And that was all about the balance of the three sails. Well, that's very good. I'm, I, I definitely find it a convenience, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. It just it boggles me. That's yeah. all. Well, when you haul, I assume you will be hauling it out this this fall. Oh yeah. Um, be interested to have a report on your and your keel alignment. Yeah. No, I'm going to do that straight away. <laughs> straight. Yeah. That's a good pun there. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, great question this morning. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. And who knows if one of the oh, possibilities we, we discussed call, was too. one of the, one of the possibilities that's happening? But yeah. we're never short of theories, are we? <laughs> good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah. Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, Michael, how are Michael you? Michael from Stonington, one of our favorite usual suspects. Oh, you have another theory, don't you? <laughs> I, I, no, actually, I'm with the, off, I'm with the slightly off-center keel theory. I, I, that's, that's my answer to that. that. That'd be my best guess. Okay. Um, the other thing, of course, if he, I, I don't know how the boat sails, actually, but if it's, you know, he could always rake the mast aft just a hair and give it a bit more weather helm. But, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my best guess, but... Um, no, you were talking about, um, oh, and, you know, the gentleman who called before wanted to convert his, his aluminum boat to a sailboat. I, 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 my advice would be just, just look in Uncle Henry's or one of these other publications. I mean, the fact is, is that, or just drive around. Right now, you know, the, the countryside, especially up here, is littered with, li- yeah. literally littered with used sailboats that people are practically giving away. I, you know, I mean... You, you can buy a there's there's a boat here on the island up near the bridge there that's a, about a 24 foot day or something like that and it, you know it's got a trailer and sails and i think the guy's asking 22 or 2300 bucks for it uh, and and there are boats much cheaper than that there are lots of little boats out there there's a bullseye here on the island for for uh under 1500 bucks that that just needs a little bit of woodwork i mean it's got sails and a rig and yeah, there are lots of cheap boats, and, and if he finds out he doesn't like sailing, the thing is he could turn the thing over, you know, and, and flog it. But all the effort to buy a rig and sails and try and convert his, his perfectly good um, metal boat doesn't seem like a good idea to me. But you guys are talking about books and survival stories, and uh, I wanted to pass along one that I just got turned on to, and I, I just absolutely ripped through it. It was... Um, a fascinating, harrowing tale. It's a true story. It's called The Proving Ground. Have you heard of this one? I don't believe I have, but I'm writing it down. Who wrote it? It's G. Bruce Necht, K-N-E-C-H-T. Yeah. And it's the true story of the 1998 Sydney Hobart race. Oh. Um, and um, it's... Uh, I have read that one. That is good. It is a harrowing yeah. tale, and uh, and I did take a certain amount of delight in the fact that um, a man I've never met but despise, Larry Ellison, absolutely <laughs> got the crap scared out of him, and and uh, that was um, that was somewhat satisfying. Uh, another great book that has a lot of stuff in it is Oil and Ice. Have you heard of this one? No, I haven't heard of that one. Okay, Peter Nichols. Are you familiar with him? Oh, Peter Nichols writes wonderful books. Uh, great, Voyage yeah. to the North Star. That's a Voyage, great Yeah, novel. yeah. Well, that's fiction, and he also wrote... That's the first one I read of his, and, and uh, he also wrote uh, Voyage for Madmen, the true story of the 
the first round the world single handed round the world race. Yeah. You know, nineteen seventy three with with all you know all the crazy characters that were in that. And uh, and he also wrote a great book about his own single handed voyage in a little boat called Toad across the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know whether you've read that one. Yeah, he he. Uh... And again, paints himself as half foolish and half adventurous, and he lives so. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Death wish. Anyway, oil and ice is actually this is, is sort of a double-barreled story about about um, the city of New Bedford, which was once the richest city in the United States of America, um, and 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 the loss of the whaling fleet in the in the great. Um, um, when they were frozen in. Anyway, absolutely brilliantly researched book and. Um, and fascinating, and I highly recommend that. I just I just finished that one. I was actually talking to um, my old friend Chris uh, Chris Troop uh, about about that book when he recommended the Proving Ground. So we I, I went on to eBay and got that. But uh, but good one. I'm going to go to my library uh, today or tomorrow and request a library loan, which you can get about any book they can find. Is how, yep. uh, how I do that. So great. So one other thing. I wanted to, you got my attention with the little, it was hard to see where you were going with this one, Mike, about the, about taxes and regulations. And, uh, it's, uh, it, of course it's, it's an, it's an old saw that's brought up. We, we don't want to bring too many politics into boats, but, uh, but the Republican party loves this, um, this, this thing. And, and, uh, being a small businessman, uh, I, I'm about as against being overly taxed and overly regulated as, as most people. However, I think one has to put into perspective when we're talking about the sea that, um, you, you know, I think history shows us that the people that have left um, United States, Britain, and other great maritime nations to register their ships in Liberia and Monrovia and places like that are actually, um, actually tend towards the unscrupulous um, and are and are actually trying to get away with really unsafe, unfair, unseamanlike, and uh, and underpaid situations. You know, the, the the great maritime nations have come up with rules and regulations. Um, enough lifeboats aboard. We we all know what ship um, caused that. And uh, uh, Samuel Plimsoll certainly uh, for the load carrying waterline ships being overloaded and and foundering and. Um, and so, you, you know, in, in, in general, I, I have to say that I, when it comes to, with, with the possible exception of flying, I, I can't think of any places you said the, the, the ocean covers seven-tenths of the planet. I can't think of anywhere that's basically more inherently dangerous than going to sea. And, uh, you know, the, the coasts of the world are littered with the, with the bones of ships and men. Um, who founded there often because they were um, in in vessels that were that were un, unprepared or underprepared or overloaded or um, not particularly safe. So I, I I have to say in general that and being a licensed captain and having to deal with the Coast Guard for inspections, I think we do a pretty good job in this country all in all. And and um, I can't say you can't have too many regulations, but. Uh, I'd much rather go to sh- go to sea in a in a British registered ship or an American registered ship than a than a Liberian registered ship. That's that's for sure. So um, I've got an old boat builder joke, Mike, that uh, goes like this: We we deliver a lot of boats, and a lot of them are for uh, people of uh, 
you know, uh, very high financial reputations, you know, hedge fund managers, commercial bankers, uh, st- you yep. know, stock trading geniuses. And, and I guess you could say the same thing for politicians, too. And here's the joke. Isn't it a good thing we don't go to sea in boats they design and build? <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Oh, by the way, Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. Did you know that Patrick O'Brien really knew nothing about sailing? Uh, I don't think that's not how I've I've heard that he has done some square rigger work in his youth. That's what I I just read some. I've been rereading them at random a little bit. Well, you know, I I tried Patrick O'Brien, and I'll tell you honestly, in spite of lots of my friends loving him, I couldn't take him. Oh, my God. I couldn't either. I'm with you, Michael. Oh, good Lord, you didn't try. Oh, my God. No, no. You see, I'm a C.S. Forrester man. Uh Uh-huh. I read, I, I, I brought up, you know, I'm, I'm 62, almost 63 years old now, and, and uh, I, I was raised on Hornblower, and uh, I just couldn't take Patrick O'Brien. I tried, I, my, my father, he loved him, um, but, um, well, there was a very interesting article written by uh, Tom Perkins of, um, uh, you, you know, the Maltese Falcon fame, and Mariette, you know the uh, Mariette, the Harrishoff schooner, and then he then he built Maltese Falcon, and and he invited um, he invited O'Brien to come and and sail with him in the Mediterranean on the boat he had previous to Mariette, which was a big Perini built boat, um, and um, and he said O'Brien showed up, and he had and he had an itinerary. Excuse that me, that's my other phone line. Um, he, he had an itinerary. For the Mediterranean, that you would have needed a thirty-knot powerboat to have to have uh, carried out. He wanted to go here and there and 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 thereafter and hither and yon. And and Tom Perkins said he came to realize that he just didn't get it. So now that's all secondhand information. But I read that it was an article in Yachting World several years ago. And um, so you and you and us both have different phones to go answer real quick here. But I'd say one thing on the way out of O'Brien. Um, he has literature, uh, Forrester's stories, O'Brien has literature, and it's like, it's like reading Dickens and stuff. It's literature, and some of his sentences will just blow you away. Okay. So anyway, we're going to try to answer the phone one more time if possible. All right, and I'm going to give you the yeah. name of one more book. He's gone. Yeah, okay, yeah, what do you got, Mike? Which, which isn't all sailing, but the last part is it, it's about, it's called Jamrocks, J-A-M-R-A-C-H, S Menagerie. And uh, it's written by a woman, Carol Birch, like a birch tree. And uh, it's it's not all nautical, but a lot of it is about whaling and taken and actually and taken from a true story. If you read the book, and I highly recommend it, it's really brilliant. Set in uh, in Britain in the 19th century, um, and then around the world in 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 a ship, and uh, very interesting, brilliantly written, and. Uh, Great story. Jam anyway, what? Jamrock's Menagerie. Jamrock's got it. So anyway, lads, it's great to talk to you, and um, uh, you you have a good time. I'll look forward to next month. All right. Thank Always you, Michael. good to talk to Michael. If we had more time, we would have asked him what he's working at on his boatyard down to uh, Stonington, Maine yeah, this well, morning. But another person on, hanging on the line, too. I'm yeah. sorry for that. But. And again, we uh, had a whole bunch of people we were thinking of talking to today, including Giffy Full, and, and uh, we're here by ourselves, but... We don't fear that around Boat Talk because we kind of love and trust the audience. And uh, it's good to talk and just answer those random questions. We we try to provide a lot of information. There's so much stuff to talk to and people. 
Um, we hate to overload the program sometime and not leave room for that stuff, but there we are. So what a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, people, for listening. Max is coming up next, sitting in for Rich Hillsinger doing On the Wing. And he appears quite cocky about it, too. Can't wait to see what happens. Always uh, information and good music. Support for Boat Talk made possible.